Amen. What powerful worship today. That was so good. My name is David Rudy. I'm the pastor here. And if I haven't met you yet, I really do hope to see you not only uh, after the service, but maybe even in my home today for lunch with the pastor. Even if you didn't sign up for it, you are still welcome to come to lunch with the pastor. We'll take your Bible, turn to Jonah. We're in a series called Swallowed by Mercy. And this is the story of Jonah. We started this last week. And if you missed last week, let me catch you up to speed with what you missed, okay? Really quick. All right, this is what happened. Here's the, here's the message. Jonah ran from God, and he got swallowed by a whale. That's all you need to know, all right? That was my whole message. That was it. Just kidding. That was not the message. That wasn't the message at all. Uh, there was so much more going on there. I mean, you could read the Koran, and you could learn that Jonah got swallowed by a whale. You could hear a little kid on a playground talking about veggie tales, and you could know that. The message was much deeper than that, okay? And the message was about a merciful God pursuing people who run from him. We saw two fixed realities, two universal truths in that first chapter. And the first one was that we all run in resistance. We all do at times. We disobey the leadership of the Lord and we go another way. We go our own way. And every single time, this is the response of our loving, merciful father. He pursues us in his mercy. Isn't that great? That's our God. That's what we started to see in Jonah chapter one, and we're continuing that story. And if you thought chapter one of the story of Jonah was oversimplified out there, which it, which it is sometimes, chapter two is even more so simplified. Uh, it's, it's super unfortunate, but a lot of people are just all over the map on what's going on in the second episode of Jonah, which we find here in chapter two. I've heard people say a lot of different things, and it's not like they're twisting truth and just making a completely false religion out of this. I'm not, we're not going that far. It's not what is said. It's what is not said. It's what people miss from chapter two that is so unfortunate. So Jonah chapter two Hopefully you've already found it. How many of you like had a marker in your Bible after last week? You're like, man, it took me way too, yeah, see, I knew it, I knew it. It took me way too long to find it last week. I'm gonna put my marker in there. You were smart. If you, if you haven't found it yet, it's okay. Use the table of contents, like we said. There's nothing wrong with that. No one will judge you for that. Sometimes as a pastor, when I'm like trying to find like a minor prophet and I'm turning and I'm like, oh man, it's taking me way too long. I wish as a pastor I could use the table of contents sometimes. I can't. Uh, but anyway, you can, and here we are, Jonah chapter 2. Let's pick it up right where we left off in verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapping around my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pits, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will pay, 
salvation belongs to the Lord. Now, as we get going in this, I want to just take a quick side note and let you know. Usually, at this time, I'll tell you right up front exactly what the main point of the message is going to be. But I'm not going to do that today. And it's not for my amusement. It's really for clarity's sake. We're going to get to that. But how many of you are still on Twitter? Anybody out there on Twitter, right? The, uh, the outrage culture machine that is Twitter. Um, the shame fest that is Twitter. And one of the things I've noticed about Twitter when I still get on there from time to time, because I don't a lot anymore, it's just not good for my own soul. But I see people are really good at, at, at just pointing out hypocrisy and, and phony apologies. And, and people have this like armchair quarterback mentality where they're pointing out all the problems with other, other people. And today with this story, it's not what is said that is the problem. It's what is not said. And we're going to get to that. We're going to come circle back to that when we're all said and done here today. But the first point, before we reveal the big idea, there is some really good truths that we don't want to get overshadowed. Some really solid gold truth that Jonah is showing us in this passage. The first point being, number one, cry out to the God of salvation in your state of desperation. Cry out to the God of salvation in your state of desperation. So here's the prayer from inside the belly of the fish. That alone is a sentence you don't hear every day. Uh, but we have to really pay close attention and not, and not get mixed up with what's going on here. Jonah is praying this when he is running from the presence of God, like we all do at times. And, and just to really truly catch you up to speed, Jonah was pursued by God with the storm, first of all. And then, as the storm raged, he was hurled overboard, and then God sent another vessel of his mercy. He sent the whale to swallow him up to save his life. And now, in this verse, the subtle nuance that you can't miss is Jonah is recounting what he prayed in the water. Okay? So there's two prayers, right? There's a prayer where he was hurled overboard, he was sinking in the water... He prayed a prayer of desperation. And now there's a prayer right now, Jonah chapter 2, which is him rehashing. He's recounting that prayer that he prayed when he's in the water. Right now is the prayer in the belly of the fish. That sounds obvious, but it does matter. It does make a difference because it's a, it's a prayer of thanksgiving right now. And he's talking about the prayer that he had of desperation earlier. So you see that in Jonah 2 too. And... There's a word here that you may not recognize. It's the word sheol. And unless you went to seminary, you probably don't know what that word exactly means. So that's probably most of us in here. And sheol is just a transliteration of a Hebrew word, okay? So it's not actually an English word. It's an English word that's been made up from a Hebrew word. But you take the Hebrew letters and you give the English equivalent to those letters. And you have this word sheol, which means grave. A lot of times the King James Version will translate it as hell. Okay, so Jonah is, is literally feeling like he's in hell. He's, he's sinking. There's seaweed wrapping around his head. He's sinking to the bottom where like the roots of the mountains are. It's a great, great like literature imagery there. I told you this book has great, great literature in it. And he cries out in desperation. That's what he does. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet shall I again look upon your holy temple. We've talked about this before, 
But whenever you see temple or tabernacle in the Old Testament, it's talking about the atonement, okay? It's, it's when that Old Testament individual says, I'm going to think about the sacrifice that leads to my forgiveness of sin. So what's the modern-day equivalent? Because we don't have a temple, right? We don't have a tabernacle that we look to and we meditate on. The modern-day equivalent for the New Testament church age would be the gospel. It would be Jesus Christ is the ultimate sacrifice. He was the perfect lamb. So when they talk about temple, when they talk about tabernacle, they're pointing to the atonement, which for us is the same thing. It's the Messiah. It's Jesus Christ. So he focuses on that. He remembers who his God is, and as he's sinking, he prays this prayer. And his commentary on that prayer, on how God answered that prayer is, yet you brought my life up from the pit. O Lord my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered you. What an awesome prayer. Now this may sound elementary, but there are times When every single one of us, we all have to cry out to God. We have to, we can't just have a weak, timid, shy prayer. We can't just talk to everyone else about our problem, everyone else and their kid brother, and then for two minutes we talk to God about it. No. We have to sometimes do exactly what Jonah's doing here, and that is cry out in desperation to God to answer our prayer, to help us. And I know some of us are like, oh, David, I got this. Believe me, if there's anything I can do, it's cry out and be dramatic and and, and make a scene and and let my voice be heard. I can do that, David. I can do that. I know you are out there. But then there's some of us who are like, that's not really the way I play, right? I I don't really want to put that weight out there on somebody else or even if it's... Even if it's praying, and I, I, I want to fix the problem myself first, right? Some of, us, some of us are wired that way. I can fix my anger problem. I can fix my marriage. I can overcome this addiction through my own willpower. Can you, though? Can any of us? The answer is no. We have to cry out. There are times when we also are just ready to give up, Right? You feel stuck. You feel like you've blown it beyond, the situation is beyond repair. And this is what you have to do right here. You have to acknowledge the reality that you are in a desperate place. And that you realize that, you know what, this this weak prayer where I kind of throw it out there to God, that's not going to cut it. I have to plead with God. I have to call out with the prayer of desperation. That's part of our faith journey. We have to have these kind of prayers. There is no shame in that. And maybe you need healing. Maybe somebody around you needs healing. But we all get in these seasons where we have to get on our face and we have to beg God to show up. Have you ever had a conversation with a person and you're talking in a normal tone of voice, you're trying to get your point across, they're just not getting it, you're not connecting and, and it turns into this argument, right? Like, we've all been there. And, and what do you do when, when your point is not being met and you really are trying to get them to see what you're trying to say? Do you just keep saying the same thing over and over again? Not usually, right? Eventually, at some point along the line, you do something drastic. You know, you hide a device or you, 
I don't know, you take something and you throw it in the woods, or you take the keys and just get in the car and drive away. You know, right? I mean, you do something drastic and intense. That's what sometimes we have to do. We need to take that same passion and that same energy. Sometimes we have to take that to our prayers with God. Because I'm not going to get a breakthrough in this any other way than to go to Jesus and to take it to him. So let's pray that way. If you are stuck and if you feel like you're always getting triggered over the same thing over and over again and you have deep wounds that can't be healed, look, God doesn't want you to live that life. He wants to put that in the past because he has already covered that and he wants you to move forward. So one of the things you have to do is cry out in desperation to the God of your salvation and he will deliver. Don't hesitate to do that. That's the truth that we have to apply. But we're here right now in Jonah 2. And again, Jonah 2 is not the same prayer of desperation. That's just what he prayed when he was in the water. Thank you for explaining that, Jonah. That was helpful. That was good. And this is blurry if you're not careful. But right now, this different prayer is a prayer of thanksgiving. And here is the next point. Point number two. Express gratitude to the God of salvation during your deliverance. This is what he's really doing right now. Look again at verse 8. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. So Jonah, at this stage, he's still in the belly of the fish. It's still pretty bad. He's already starting to give thanks, though. And he had major unknowns right now. The, um, the mechanics of how this was going to all work out were not clear. He's still scraping by. I mean, he's literally at this point breathing in acid, okay? Do you ever feel like you're like that with, with your destructive decisions, breathing in some acid? Well, Jonah's really doing that. And the fact that he's still alive probably is a miracle of the Lord. I mean, we don't really know how he survived this. I mean, he could have died and God raised him back from the dead. Who knows? But... The point is, he's alive by the mercy of God, and he's giving thanks to God. God has not shown how step A, B, and C are all going to connect. He has not tied a pretty bow on this. Jonah is literally in the middle of it all. But as what he's saying is, salvation belongs to the Lord. And with a voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you. This is the same tone. This is the same thing that we have to do in our own lives. This is it. Don't get swallowed up by the fears of the unknown. There's a lot of things you don't know. But that doesn't matter, right? What matters is who you know. So think about that. You can thank God for the fact that you have hope in him. That's who you know. Most of the time, we don't really know how A, B, and C connect. And we can't even fathom D. I mean, that'll blow our minds how that's ever going to happen. But we can, what we can do is give thanks to God who has brought us this far. Trust that he's not going to disappear. Believe that he has a plan. And his plan for you goes all the way back, right? All the way back, including Jesus Christ coming into this world, dying on the cross for our sin. 
If we have faith in that, we can receive redemption. That's what we have to go back to. I'm sure Jonah felt like his life was over. He felt, he probably felt like it was just, it would never be the same. It was pretty much finished. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt completely stuck and forgotten by God? I know I have. Um, this is the, this is like upcoming weekend is the weekend where Julie and I went on our first date. And I remember before I met Julie, which, which is about 10 years ago now, uh, I was just a wannabe youth pastor who couldn't get a job anywhere. And uh, I, was, I felt stuck. Like, what am I doing with my life? Like, why have I spent all this money on this college degree and now no one wants to even let me have a chance at being a pastor? Like, this is tough. It, it was rough. And then I met Julie. We went on a few dates. I mean, this is, I'm, I've been thinking about this because we're, it's right at 10 years now. But she told me after the second day, you know what, David? We're never going to be more than just friends. So I don't think we should be seeing each other anymore. That was rough. That was rough. <laughs> God worked it all out, though. And I mean, we got married. Here we are. But before, after we got married, we moved to Colorado and we went to this, this church plant. Nothing went the way we thought it was going to go. And we went to Kansas. I mean, we've done all these things. I mean, we've been in places in our life where both of us have been like, wow, where are our friends? What's going on, God? Like, this isn't healthy. Like, this isn't good. Like, there's got to be something different. We didn't know where to turn. And I'm not going to give you an outline of my whole life, but I know what it feels like to be lonely and to have only one person to pray to, only one person to talk to about it. When you're in the middle of the tough situation that doesn't make any sense, you can talk to the God of your salvation because he has a plan. There was a guy that I met, again, about a decade ago, and I've talked to this guy. About the 80% of my conversation with him is just through Facebook Messenger. Like, we've only, we only were in person for, like, three months, and now we just talk to each other on Facebook Messenger. And he... Um, he's a minority. He felt really discriminated against in the church. He had a lot of anger there um, towards God with that. We, we talked through that, wrestled through that together. He, uh, he, he went through a season of his life where he felt like God wasn't answering any of his prayers. Everything that he prayed, nothing happened. So he really doubted. He really struggled with that. And I would have this conversation with him in different ways all the time, like, hey, look, I know this doesn't make sense right now. This is tough right now. This is the effect of the fall. But you know what? God loves you, and he sent his son Jesus to die for you. He, he adopted you as his child. I would have that conversation with him. He wouldn't get it. He wouldn't get it. One day he actually called me, okay? And usually it was, that was weird. I didn't get a text. He, he's calling me now. Okay, what is this? So I answer the phone. David. You know what? I may never get anything that God I, that I ever pray for again, but it doesn't matter because I know God loves me because he saved me and if I get nothing else, that's fine. I got more than I ever deserved when I got salvation. I'm like, "Yes, Hector, you're saying it." I mean, I I've been saying the same thing to you over and over again and you never got it, but I'm glad you're getting it now. Like he finally understood that he didn't need anything else because he had a relationship with God. And that was better than anything else that he desired. Some of you are in a season where 
you feel this way. Some of you know people and have loved ones who feel this exact way right now. Don't focus on all the unknowns. Give thanks for who you do know. The relationship that you can have with God. Salvation belongs to the Lord. He saved me. He loves me. Praise God for that. Jesus is enough. And one other thing. You may be thinking this, wow, all right, great. It's true. Jesus is enough. I need to wrap my mind around that. I need to focus on that. I need to praise God and give thanks for that. You know what else is true? The fact that you're here right now today at Doxa Church on Sunday morning with this group of people, that also tells me that God is not done with you. You don't have to stay stuck because you're here. You're with a group of people who've, who've been walking through the same types of things They're going to put their arms around you and love you. The fact that you're here today on Sunday, you got out of bed. I know it's not easy for people to sometimes do that, but you're here, and that alone means that God is working on you. He's there for you, and you're in the right place. So praise God for that. One day we will look back at all those times when you go on those hikes in nature to get alone and pray and just cry out to God and call out to him. And you can look back and you can see, oh, wow, God was doing something there. God was actually removing something from my life so I could focus more on my relationship with him. The Apostle Paul went through this same thing. We see it in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I want to show you the text there, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. This is what Paul said. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him, we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You see how he goes back to his relationship with God? Yes, the kids are excited about that. <laughs> they are. He will deliver us again, though. That's, that is our God. So express gratitude to the God of salvation during your process of deliverance. You're not going to stay there. When you look to him, you cry out to him, he has a reason for putting you through that. And when you can rely more on him and depend on him, that's when you get this extra strength that you don't have in yourself. You'll be able to do more things when you get out of your own comfort zone, when you get out of your own skill tree, and you start depending on the Holy Spirit. Great things will happen then. Now we have one more verse left, and the last point starts in verse 10. And I'm going to read that verse, then I want to supplement that verse with another passage. Because the title today is, it's not what you said, it's what you didn't say. Okay, and I know I was a little cryptic in the very beginning. I didn't tell you what we were talking about right up front, the main point of the passage. Um, And that was because I wanted to hold this right here. So far, there's nothing wrong with what Jonah has said. I don't want you to miss that. Don't miss the good truth that's right here from Jonah. It's not what he said in this prayer that is, that is the problem at all. There's something that he didn't say in this prayer that is pretty, uh, pretty revealing, pretty, pretty serious. And uh, this is where I need my armchair QBs who are ready to 
to sniff out anything that isn't 100% kosher, all of you who love, love your Twitter handle, I need you to think right here. Is there something in what Jonah prayed that's a little off? Does anyone notice anything that is missing from this prayer? We've read the whole prayer. Let's look at verse 10. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Yeah, I almost cued you in on this in the outset. I didn't want you to be hindered from seeing the truth that we did see, that we should take away from that, because Jonah said some great stuff. But God's response isn't as if he just prayed some amazing prayer, is it? God spoke to the fish, and the fish vomited him. Whenever you see the word vomited throughout the scripture, it's always, always, always in the context of disgust. Okay? It could have said a lot of different words other than vomited. Right there. And the question is, why did God react to his prayer of thanksgiving that way? There's got to be something here that we're missing. What is it? If you haven't already figured it out, it's a heart of repentance. Do you see repentance in this prayer? He's saying a lot of true things about God, and that's great. I'm so glad he knows truth about God. We all need to have a proper view of God to know who saved us, to know who will deliver us. We better get that straight. But it's not what he said that's the problem. It's what he didn't say. And I have heard people try really, really hard to, to bake repentance into this prayer. I mean, they've tried really hard to get there. I mean, I wanted this sermon. I'm a, I'm a positive thinking person. I'm optimistic. I wanted this to be like three ways you can find repentance and have a great prayer. Like, that would be great. But, you know, as I went through this text, we couldn't have all shiny positivity here because Jonah is missing something super important. The people who will say that there is repentance in this prayer, just I don't want to I don't want to overbore you with with the, these nuances, but they do make the case from verse eight. If you're going to make the case at all, the only way you're going to get it is in verse 8. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Okay? Um, and the whole case revolves around, well, is he talking about the pagan idolaters, the sailors that were on the ship, or is he talking about himself? And they, they will say, oh, well, he uses the word hased, which is translated sometimes grace. Right here in the ESV, it's translated steadfast love. And because he used the word hased, he can't be talking about pagans because they wouldn't know hased. So he has to be talking about himself. So he has to be repenting himself. But as I said, I have a problem with that because, number one, God vomits him out. Number two, Jonah's response to God's mercy after he witnesses to the Ninevites back in chapter four, up in chapter four is going to reveal something problematic. And... Number three, I mean, you're just squeezing a lot out of the fact of one word. I mean, what if he just literally thought he was a person who was receiving the grace of God because he was one of God's chosen people and they didn't have it? I mean, you read the rest of the text, it kind of feels like that's the way this guy is looking at the, at the situation. And here's the clincher for me. Please take your Bible and turn to Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is a similar situation. Different guy, okay, we're talking about King David right now. And this is David after he's confronted by Nathan the prophet with his sin with Bathsheba. And I want you to see a different prayer. Um, and let's compare and contrast the two prayers. Psalm 51, verse 1. 
Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth and in your inward being. And you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. You notice the contrast there? Shake your head if you see a difference between Jonah's prayer and David's prayer. One guy knows he was wrong. He was way out of line. He was off. Have mercy on me, O God, for I am a sinner. I mean, it's great that Jonah's talking about the God of his salvation. That is, I mean, so glad he says that, right? Wonderful. Salvation belongs to you. Great. You're you're on the right track, Jonah, but you're missing something. And here's the warning for you and for me. This is our last point. This is point three. Beware of knowing truth without living in love. This is one of Jonah's problems. This is where people miss what's going on in this story, okay? Here's a guy who's willing to dutifully obey God because he knows it's the right thing to do. All right, I'll just get out there and do it. It's not going to be any fun, but I'm going to do it anyway. God still used it, didn't he? I mean, we're going to see that next week. We're going to dive into that part next week. But it should be alarming at what he doesn't say. What Jonah says is true. As a matter of fact, 80% of that prayer in the belly as he's giving thanks to God, 80% of that prayer is basically loose quotations from the book of Psalms. (laughs) So he read Psalm 51. He knew what David said. He's quoting truth. He knows the truth. He's a prophet of God who knows what's right and wrong. And he still missed it. He had received mercy, but he didn't allow the mercy of God to change him into being a merciful person. And we have to take that warning. Take heed. We cannot fall down that same trap It's so important that we realize I'm a sinner. I mess up. When I'm in desperation and I cry out to him, that's the right step. When I thank him for my salvation, yes, now I'm really going somewhere with this. But also, I have to own my own downfalls. I have to own my own failures. And it's possible to have a detailed knowledge of God and his word, and still have a heart that is utterly cold and selfish and rebellious. That's scary. We all dislike the hypocrite who quotes God word, God's word and then goes out and 
and litters and doesn't take care of God's environment, that's really annoying and ugly. It's not a good, God, not a good testimony for Christ. I mean, we don't like the people who talk about amazing things of God and they, they, they treat their home family like trash. Like, that's horrible. That's a horrible thing. We, none of us like that. But we have to have, we have to fight this disconnect. And it can happen to anyone. How does it happen? It starts when you don't personalize your own sin. When you don't personalize your own sin, that's the track that you're on. So the question I have for you is, are your prayers more like Jonah's prayers? God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this. Thank you for this, God. Thank you for this. Is that all you're praying about? Or do your prayers sound a little bit more like David's? I blew it. Please, God, I'm begging you, create in me a clean heart. Purge me. Cleanse me. I need you to do that. Think about how much more of an impact we could make if we individually didn't just know the truth, but we lived out the truth. That'd be amazing. There's so many hurt, broken people in our community. There's more churches here than like anywhere else in the country. It doesn't really matter. There's still broken people everywhere. Christians, let's start living out the truth that we know. It starts with personalizing our sin, running to the God of mercy, getting that right. It's not what you say. Sometimes it's what you don't say. Worship team, you can come up. It's, it's such a scary reality, but too many of us are missing the humility and the passion that comes from confessing their own sin. I'm not saying you need to point fingers at other people. Of course not. Please don't do that. It starts with you. Are you loving other people? Are you sharing your time? Are you investing in relationships? Making an effort to have conversations that aren't even going to be fun. I mean, there's a lot of Christians who know the truth, and you know what? They're casual about even attending church. I mean, not only are they not doing stuff to reach people who are broken, but I mean, they're not even, they're not even really making the effort to make it a commitment. That's a travesty. That's a, that's a person who is comfortable with knowing truth about God, but they're not, they're not making it, making an impact. Do you live with grace and generosity for others? That's the question that you need to answer. God didn't save you just so you could know truth and dutifully obey it. By his mercy, he saved you so that you could share the same steadfast love that he has for us. That's it. So do you love the Ninevites in your life? You probably know who the Ninevites in your life are. It starts to happen when we realize the mercy and the grace of God. I heard this quote. Uh, this, is, this is a loose quote about grace. Uh, if you could throw that one up there, Jacob. There you go. Next one. Next one. Grace, an undeserving person receives an unbelievable gift from an unobligated giver. That's what we've been given. Okay? This, this week... 
uh, something amazing happened in one of our life groups. I don't want to say any names. I don't want to like embarrass anybody, but there was someone in one of our life groups who gave a car to someone else in their life group. Isn't that awesome? I mean, that's what life groups about right there. It's incredible. But as I was thinking about that, I was so happy about that. That just brought joy to my heart. Um, I'm thinking through it. Is it grace or is that love, right? An undeserving person receives an unbelievable gift from an unobligated giver. So the giver was definitely unobligated for sure. Check on that. Uh, the unbelievable gift, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But the person who received the gift, you know what? They work hard. They, they needed a car. They did everything they possibly could. And it wasn't like they just had the resources to just go out there and pull out this car out of thin air. So I would say, yeah, they, they were kind of, I mean, it was great. They were obligated in one sense. They, des- they, they deserve a nice gift. So that's not grace. That's actually love. But what we have to realize, when we realize the mercy of God, when we actually start owning our own sin, we realize we didn't even deserve it, right? Share the truth that you know. Don't just, don't just milk it in and enjoy it and pray about it to God every once in a while. But get passionate about it. Share it with passion and with energy and with zeal because that's what Jesus did Let's stand up, and we're going to close our service with one more worship song, praising the God of our salvation. Sing this truth, and let's go out and do something with it this week.
I never told you the main point of this sermon because I truly wanted this to be a reveal at the very end. I think you figured it out now. We saw that slide. You saw a peek at that slide. But it's this. Humble repentance produces a passionate heart change. When you look at the life of Jonah, that's the big thing I want you to take away today. I know you may know a lot of truth about God, and that's wonderful. A lot of people do. But there's a lot of people who don't do anything about it. We repent of our downfalls, our sin, and we ask Jesus to change us. We go out and we make a difference in the world. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, this doesn't make sense to you. You don't know where to begin. You can change that today. We can talk about that today. Um, talk to me. Talk to Ben, the guy, the funny guy you saw with those awesome announcements. I mean, talk to any of Pretty much just find someone who looks like they know what they're doing. We'd love to talk to you about that because people in this room have been changed by this truth. We're going to have a new uh, team coming up. Connie Badurka called me this week and she was just like, hey, David, I, I just wanted to serve in a new place. And the Lord has led me to uh, see if I could do anything with the prayer ministry. So we're going to start a prayer chain where you have a number that you can text into prayer requests. She's going to get all that information out to other people to pray. I mean, right there, one of the pillars of our church is prayer. So there's a sign-up sheet out in the front table for you to just put your name and your phone number if you want to take part in that. We're going to get that rolling really soon. And in the next couple weeks, be looking forward for a new uh, sign-up sheet that we'll have, like just kind of an emphasis, re-emphasis on some of the volunteer positions, because we have so many amazing volunteers. I'm really grateful for all of you. And there's just some more spots where where you could jump in and, and get involved in that good way. But thank you for worshiping with us today. This has been so good. If you need the address one more time, for my house, for lunch with the pastor, it's 572 Cromwell Drive. And that's just take a left out of, out of Upward and just go down the road like a mile and take another left. It's, it's, uh, it's right there. It's, it's pretty easy to find. So can't wait for that. But you are loved. Before we go, let's say our verse. This is a new thing for the new year. And uh, yeah, do we got it? Yes, we do. Romans 15, 13. This is the verse I want us all to memorize this year. Let's say this together as a prayer as we go. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. You are loved. <laughs>